カスタイム今次の放送は晩による晩のための晩放送ポッドキャルチアポッドキャストでこの番組はグランドスパンダーやりくんの財布の敵を日程送りますスイッチオンワンツースリー電流火花が体を走る自動チェンジ機械だダークロボット迎え撃て人造人間機械だYeah, so we, we are here to talk some more Android Kakaida. And in our index coverage of the Tokusatsu series, Android Kakaida, we are now on episode 10, which is titled Scorpion Brown, the Ultimate Weapon. Or, as the long winded Wikipedia title would have you believe, it is Scorpion Brown's Maddened by the Human Bomb! <laughs> so that's the super long winded title and everything. And the short, sweet to the point synopsis by August Rangone on the DVD set is Scorpion Brown has stolen a newly developed weapon from the Nakabori Laboratory and Dark plans to mass produce it. So, again, short, sweet to the point. But we're going to go into some blow by blow coverage of this episode and let you know what's going down in it and everything. And also, I, you know, what, what I enjoy doing is just trying to keep tabs on any comparisons we can make to the anime and manga. But unfortunately, it looks like, as far as I can tell, Scorpion Brown, or Sassari Brown, as they call him when they, they speak it in Japanese, I guess, did not appear in any of the manga or Kikaida anime, as far as I know. But when we open up, we open on two hikers taking a short respite when the vile Scorpion Brown drills up through the ground beneath them. He introduces himself. As the world's most powerful android, and proceeds to shoot a thermoluminescent death beam from the stinger on his tail. This sets off pyrotechnics in the male hiker's backpack and incinerates the male hiker completely as his female companion screams out in terror. Of course, she too feels the full wrath of Scorpion Brown's death beam. With nothing. Yeah, yeah what's up? Maya. Yeah. May I? Those hikers are toast! <laughs> like, thoroughly toasted. Yeah. Like, I saw that and I was like, whoa! Like, it, they're not just like、uh, disintegrated, but like a beam effect, like on Star Trek. I mean, you have like this kind of like weird, like, like burnt 
plastic looking thing and like I saw that effect and I was like, whoa. And then I like that popped in my head. I was like, those hikers are toast. Yeah, totally. Totally. Like, I mean, there's not really a whole lot left of them, too. I mean, I know we've made the joke about the charred remains of Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru, but this is like sort of beyond that. This is like after, after the stormtroopers left the charred remains, they did like, you know, some kind of river dance all over their their <laughs> skeletons or whatever and left them all like you know broken up and split into a bunch of different pieces and stuff and and you know basically so i mean there, there's basically nothing but these these weird charred pieces of them left behind and so scorpion brown then is declaring that he's going to conquer the world and nearby we've got jiro who stands atop a cliffside and the death beam kind of flashes overhead in this kind of, you know, 70s era special effects. It's like some kind of animatic, but it's supposed to be the, the death laser beam or whatever. And interestingly, they don't play up that Jiro saw this. They, they actually play up the audio. And he kind of wonders what that sound was that he just heard. And thinking it to be an explosion, he goes off to investigate and finds these kind of, you know, basically he finds the toast <laughs> remains of the hikers <laughs> and everything, you know, that, that we were talking about. And, like, he's basically in sort of detective mode, you know, in the Arkham Asylum games, because he sees that there's a pickaxe and a rope, and it's, like, you know, basically unused and everything. And he's kind of like, aha, there were people here. And then, of course, he realizes that they were destroyed by some sort of thermoluminescent force from a dark destructoid, as you as you would. You know, you, you obviously can come to that conclusion of your own accord. Anybody who walked up would clearly know that these charred <laughs> remains were destroyed by some sort of thermoluminescent force. I mean, that's... That's a conclusion I came to. I don't know about you, Justin. I, I was thinking, I was like, man, this is like some Mr. Spock, like Sherlock Holmes, like detective work he's doing here. Like, I, I expect, like, Commissioner Gordon and Chief O'Hara to be like, you know, confound it! Kekaida's done it again! It's like, Pigora! I never would have figured it out. You know, like, so, you know, it's it's definitely like one of those things where it's like, how did you, how did you solve the Riddler's riddle exactly? It's like, of course, Robin, you know, like, so... You know, of course, that's kind of funny and stuff. And then and then we end up cutting to Professor Gill, who is chuckling to himself about his latest dark destructoid, Scorpion Brown, who he's ordering to bring the director of the Nakabori Laboratory before him. And then, basically, immediately after, we are at the Nakabori Thermoluminescent Energy Laboratory, as you would be, where Dr. Nakabori locks up some important research materials in a steel safe, and just then, out of the blue, Scorpion Brown drills through the wall just like he did the Earth in that previous scene. So I guess this is going to be the part where I come to ask you, Justin, what did you think of the suit for Scorpion Brown, the latest Dark Destructoid? I actually liked it. Some of these suits are pretty goofy, and I've not held back my thoughts on that. When I saw this suit, I was like, oh, cool. Like, it, it looks like a cool design. It looks like a scorpion for, for the most part, except for, like, the the cycloptic-looking eye. And, you know, I was watching this episode, and I was kind of paying attention to the suit, and I was thinking, man, like, the suit actor in that suit, like, he has to be a really stout guy, because this is, like, this is a big suit. I mean, you got these huge, like, 
pinchers on the arms and you got this like giant tail in the back and the suit looks very bulky and you know i've i've read a lot about how you know suit actors whether it's like someone performing as godzilla or they're in another toku show or whatever like they, it can be really exhausting like they they talk about how hot it gets in the suit and like they you know you'll you'll start out as a suit actor and you'll weigh like maybe 250 pounds and then maybe after like four months of filming you'll be down to like about 100 because it gets so hot and you, you know it, it causes you to just exert yourself that much. And I was thinking about that when I was like watching him like fight Kikaida and do all these other things. I was like, man, this guy, he has to be pretty stuck because that's a big suit. Yeah, it's interesting. Like my my experience with especially Japanese tokusatsu is virtually non-existent as far as knowing people who are suit actors. But I do remember one of the earliest like plays I did when I graduated from Loyola Marymount, it was this kind of chintzy version of Frankenstein. It was called The Diaries of Frankenstein. And one of the guys that they had on to do some of the stunts and the coordination of some of the stuff that we did in that play actually was a guy who worked on Power Rangers and he did like some of the suit acting and stuff like that, you know, when they would bring over those suits for the show and fight in them and everything and and i remember kind of being surprised because i think my impression was oh well if you if you know martial arts and if you if you take part in something like that like if you're a stunt coordinator i i sort of had this preconceived notion that guys like that would be sort of lithe and thin and kind of you know quick on their feet and in shape and everything. And and this guy was kind of like what you're saying. Like, he was more of a, a beefy, kind of bulky guy. And he knew what he was doing, but it just, I remember it surprised me because it seemed like, you know, he had a, a certain heft to him, you know, and he was a big guy. And, like, I'm sure what you're saying is true is, I bet you after he would do work on that show for a while and be stuck in those suits with the heat and everything, you know, he'd probably go from, you know, 200 something pounds down to, you know, 100 whatever pounds, you know, and, and when he was doing that. So I, I think it makes total sense what you're talking about. I mean, as far as the suit, like, I, I kind of agree with you. Like, I was kind of, uh, you know, happy because I was like, oh, cool. Like, I, I bet you this is going to be a suit that both me and me and Justin like, and we won't have to sort of sugarcoat <laughs> how how we yeah. feel about it and everything and i i thought the kind of mono eye you were talking about like it kind of reminded me of juggernaut in the captain america and the avengers video game <laughs> like how he had the mm. weird mono eye and everything yeah i mean you can still kind of notice like where the eye sockets are for the human actor like they're just they're a little bit below and and if you pay attention like close attention to the sort of coloring and the the skin detail on Scorpion Brown you can see like these little kind of cross hatches like that basically would go where human eyes would go you know so you could kind of see that if you paid attention to it but i mean i think the armored look is is like really natural for you know a scorpion an insect and i i think it looks really imposing and cool and and maybe like what you're saying it, it probably comes in part because the actual suit actor probably is imposing of his own accord but then kind of to top that off with kind of like an armored look and it, it kind of looks I'm not going to say natural, but I mean, it, it feels a little more like what we're used to in terms of seeing like high quality uh, tokusatsu suits and stuff like that. It's it, to me, it seems like the engineering is pretty sound and it's a good, 
good step forward. But I, I was wondering, like, can you can you let us know, like, one of the factoids that might tie into the character we were just introduced to, Dr. Nakabori, Justin? I can. Dr. Nakabori is played by the late Toho character actor Rin Yamamoto, who is best remembered as Masaji, the doomed Odo Island fisherman from the original Godzilla. He also appeared in Episode 2 of Toei's Go Ranger as Professor Koto. Yamamoto has also appeared in numerous fantasy films and television series, most notably in Episodes 11 and 30 of Ultraman, Episode 10 of Ultra 7, and Episode 1 of Fireman, all produced by Tsuburaya. Cool. Yeah. I did you did you recognize him at all before you looked over the factoid? Because I I don't know that he immediately stood out to me, but I think when I when I read this, I went back and just quickly googled some some Google images of the actor, and then seeing you know the images of him in Godzilla and some of the other shows, I kind of went, oh yeah, yeah, that is the same guy. So I thought that was kind of neat. No, I, I didn't recognize him at all, to be honest. No, it's cool. I mean, I I didn't either. I just kind of. I, I was, like, surprised, but I was thinking to myself, I should know him, because, I mean, you and me, like, it's like, I, I know I've seen episodes of Go Ranger and Ultra 7 yeah. and Ultraman, and I even, I think I just watched, like, Fireman, like, not too long ago, so I was like, I should totally recognize this guy, but I didn't, I didn't immediately recognize him, but maybe that's just a testament to him being a good character actor, because it's not like, in this, he, he's got kind of like the lab coat, and he's got a mustache, and he's got like a nice head of hair and everything, but it seems like in, in Godzilla, I mean, he, he's almost like, kind of like this I don't know if he's bald, but it just seemed like he, he, he just didn't have a mustache and, and, you know, kind of was his own little fisherman type that was wearing like a fisherman hat. And, you know, obviously he, he can be more of a, a chameleon in terms of, of his role. So maybe we wouldn't, he wouldn't necessarily look identical in, in everything we've seen him in probably. And then do we want to talk about the, uh, the building where it was shot at as well? Yeah, because I was I was kind of like wondering about this too because it's a very unusual building. The building used for the Nakabori Energy Research Institute was known as the 100 Eyed Building, located in the I'm gonna mangle this Kinatu <laughs> District of Setagawa Ward, Tokyo. This standout construction can also be seen in episodes of P Productions, The Space Giants, Subaraya Productions, Ultra Seven, and Sinkosha's Silver Mask. P Productions, Zaboga, and many others. Have you seen, like, I, I don't think I've ever seen Silver Mask or Zaboga. Have you heard of those I, or seen them? I've heard of those, and I've, I've seen a few episodes of Space Giants, but I I don't I don't remember ever seeing this building before because mm -hmm. it is very usual. It looks like a bunch of, like, giant concrete drain pipes, like, slotted into a building. And I was looking at it, I was like, what, what is this? Is this a real building? It's kind of like, like you know weird. what it kind of reminds me of? Like, I don't know if this is, like, a weird comparison, but it's like if uh, a pineapple was made concrete and all the eyes of the pineapple were little tubes. Like, if that, <laughs> like, I don't know, that's that's kind of what I thought of. Like, it was this, this like, kind of oddly shaped pineapple you know, it's like square pineapple building, but you know, it, it definitely has like a sort of, I, I don't know if it, it's just, it just has a weird pattern to it. And you wonder like what the purpose of, of those little tubes on the outside of the building are other than to just be kind of artsy fartsy and weird or whatever. But I guess back to the ongoing Kikaida plot, 
Dr. Nakabori quickly discerns that Scorpion Brown was the guy who stole his original research, and that's why they're locking all this stuff up in a safe now. Although Dr. Nakabori orders his lab technicians, which I thought was kind of funny, to show the intruder out, Scorpion Brown, of course, found it funny as well, and merely laughs, and the lab techs transform into dark destructoid agents who yell out, Gil, Gil, Gil. And as they leave the facility with the doctor and his secret papers, the doctor's young daughter, Kazuko, comes across the abduction in progress. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I did think that was kind of funny because I was thinking, like, dude, these yeah. guys are just lab techs. Like, what are they? It's not like they're security guards. Like, they, they look like they're dressed just like him. So I, I was kind of expecting them to cower in terror or run away or go, what are you, crazy? Like, but, of course, they, they actually transform into dark agents anyway. So either way, like, these guys helping the doctor is quickly negated one way or the other you know if it was the way i was thinking or the way they actually played it in the episode so i thought that was kind of funny but we also have another factoid about young kazuko why don't you give us that factoid justin karo indo who plays dr nakabori's daughter kazuko also appears in episodes 31 and 32 as a little girl terrorized by blue electric eel so I guess we'll have to put a pin in that and maybe yeah. try to remember her from, from this episode. Kind of remember, remember the girl from episode 10? Well, she's back in pog form. <laughs> anyway, as Dark drives off with the Doctor, we then hear the cherry red guitar of justice playing in the background. And Jiro is standing on a hilltop and isn't going to take this abduction lightly. Even even does some Ultra Magnus cursing here, where he's like saying "damn," you know, or Raphael or whatever in in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. I was like, oh, he's he's like he's getting all serious about this stuff. I don't remember. Do you remember him ever saying anything like this before in the series so far? I don't. I don't. I don't think so. Yeah, I feel like this is the first time he's like sort of made a curse or whatever. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I mean, I know sometimes like with the the outlandish fan subgroups, they would have translated yeah. this into shitbags, asswipe, fuck your face, or whatever. <laughs> but you know, I I know Kuso is probably just you know it's it's like darn it or damn it or whatever you know. So I mean, I know it's not quite that that harsh but you know it, it seems like it's one of those things where you know dark is definitely annoying jiro at this point and even though scorpion brown is telling these dark goons to step on the gas jiro without any fanciful transformation sequence just kind of up and turns into kakaida and first he's kind of like flying overhead in the side machine and then once he lands he's basically just driving after them in the side machine and he basically tries to stop them from getting away. And the way he does that, I'm going to turn it over to my man Justin, because this is another factoid that we have from the Generation... Uh, I think that's where we get these from, right? The Generation Kakata? I don't know. One, one of those websites, the Henshin Online or something like that. Yeah. In this episode, we see one of the rare accessories of Kakata's superbike, the side machine. Roman Chariot-like tire slashers. This was inspired by one of the gadgets on James Bond's Aston Martin DB5 from the classic film Goldfinger, which was a huge hit in Japan. So yeah, when I saw that, I was like, man, they like 
totally like watched Guildfinger recently and they're like, hey, we can do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a pretty cool scene, except for I kind of wonder, like, it's like, it's a cool gimmick, but then, like, I kind of wonder what Kakaida's plan was, because at first I was kind of like, okay, so the side machine extends its tire slashers, but then the result is this dark destructoid truck that's been abducting the doctor basically tumbles all the way down the hill and like explodes so i'm like well you didn't like i'm, I'm like what i mean like what if 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 this show went the way you think it would go like you didn't really help save the doctor it's kind of like it's kind of like you know you, you basically killed the doctor right like i mean that that's what it seems like and jiro's like inspecting the wreckage and i guess expecting to find the doctor i guess like that was his plan to like you know take out like all these guys and he basically finds the robotic corpses of all the destructoid goons you know the dark goons but he doesn't see scorpion brown or dr nakabori and i guess dr nakabori should be thankful for that but jiro then ends up hearing the mocking laughter of scorpion brown who's holding on to a pretty obvious dummy which yeah. is representing the doctor where he's like, oh, oh, oh. and I'm kind of like, you've got like a little pillow that's shaped like the doctor. Like, isn't that cute? You know, so I was kind of laughing about that. But in hot pursuit, Jiro is in such a hurry that he just misses Hattori Hanpei in his green VW bug who offers his help. But since Jiro's like already halfway down the block, you know, he's insulted that he was snubbed. But then like, I guess Jiro hears him, comes back, and asks Hattori Hanpei to look after the doctor's daughter, Kazuko. And this was kind of like an odd transition as they tend to have on this series, because the next time we see Hattori Hanpei, he appears in like this Renaissance Fair costume and yeah. sees these Dark Destructoid goons carrying Kazuko away. And like, it's like he's larping or something like in the 70s because he's like he's kind of in character because he's like calling them like you know you foul dark drones and he's he's basically telling them thou shan't have thy way you know and he's trying to do his his buster keaton charlie chaplin bit as this actor does on the show with hattori hanpei so it's like this kind of bumbling fool character trying to play like a, an Errol Flynn type, I guess, because he's trying to chase them off with a fencing foil. And at first you're kind of like, oh, wow, is is is, is Hattori Hanpei going to have like a, a fight sequence like all to himself? Like, I, I was kind of wondering. But like pretty soon, like Hattori Hanpei ends up getting outmatched. Like, you know, it, it's like he starts out fencing these guys, but eventually he's just basically rolling around on the floor dodging like spear chucks and you know like like slices and all this kind of stuff and he ends up getting defeated with like a blow to the stomach from like a staff and luckily for him jiro arrives on his side machine to continue the fight so it it, it starts out as maybe a sequence that hattori hanpei would be the the protagonist in as far as the fight goes but he quickly turns it over to Jiro and I think my favorite bit in the entire fight is you know Jiro's fighting all these guys and everything and he's basically like you know taking them out and some of them he's karate chopping them into pieces and so there's this moment where he karate chops off 
a dark drone's head and sends it like flying into Hattori Hanpei's lap because he's still on the ground after getting like you know punched in the stomach basically by this staff and like the head has like this kind of corkscrew like this little slinky thing like sticking out the end where the neck would be so and the, you know basically Hattori Hanpei is just kind of like holding it up with a goofy smile and just like yay you know so I thought that was kind of that, that kind of cracked me up. Meanwhile, we've got Dr. Nakabori, who is brought back to this, essentially a dark interrogation, like, torture room for questioning, and the Scorpion Brown and the dark guys are basically threatening him with the death of his daughter if he doesn't, you know, tell them the secrets behind the... I'm trying to remember it now, because I gotta look. The thermoluminescence, you know, like, basically, like, where do they, where do they get, you know, more of this? Because they've stolen it to this point, but they don't know how to produce it on their own, essentially. But there's basically a... I, I think we've talked about this before on the show, but it, it's brought up again as a factoid here, this particular interrogation room and a lot of the set pieces and props, so why don't you... Let us know about that, Justin. In the dark interrogation room in which Dr. Nakabori is kept, the same electronic command desk, which was used as part of the set for the dark repair station, is used again. It was originally a prop rented from Toho Studios and built for the 1972 film Godzilla vs. Gigan, first seen in episode 7. Yeah, so we've got that, that same set back again, so that was that was cool. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a... The, the way they light it and everything, I mean, it seems pretty pretty ominous and everything, and you can tell that it's not going to be too fun for him to be stuck in there, but usually it's somebody like Dr. Kamoji that's stuck in there, but now we've got a different, you know, we've got a different doctor, so we've, we've got Nakabori who's stuck in the scary, dark torture room and stuff. There's something I thought was interesting about the the scene with Hattori Anpei is, you know, he 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 agrees to help Jiro, like get that little girl and take her to Masaru. He he does this without even mentioning like a reward or or anything, and I thought that was pretty interesting because usually he 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 kind of has like his own agenda. He's he's like he wants something, you know, you know, usually money, but this he just pretty much agrees to it. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I suppose maybe you could argue the the snubbing might be argued as like an inciting incident, you know, kind of, it, it's an issue of pride for him, maybe more than money, I suppose. But, you know, but that is, that, I mean, maybe there is something to watching him. I mean, if we pay attention to his growth, you know, like there's, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's not going to be an extreme well thought out character arc in a piece like this but you you can point to the idea that you know in, in certain instances he he normally does kind of say what's in it for me and in this case he's he's fairly selfless about the whole thing and he, he's not like megatron megatron talking to unicorn he's like why should i what's in it for me right right tell me what's in it for me
So when we come back from the commercial break, Kazuko is now with Mitsuko, Masaru, and Hattori Hanpei, and they try to reassure her that Jiro's gonna save her father, and they decide to go fishing because they're all hungry. But kind of stupidly, they leave her alone by a fire in a cave, and presumably she basically goes off, you know, to find her father. And then there's this weird, odd cut, kind of, I guess we're getting used to it, but they kind of play with your expectations here, because somehow, immediately, Kazuko is in the presence of her father in the same Gigan torture chamber area, and Dr. Nakabori is begging for his daughter's forgiveness, because he knows he's put her in great harm because of the secret he has, and she basically kind of cajoles it out of him, and he reveals that the source of thermoluminescent energy is this fictional substance, uritonium. And furthermore, uritonium can only be found in White Dragon Valley. And of course, once that secret is revealed, fooled you! The little girl starts cackling and transforms into Cesare Brown, or you know, <laughs> Scorpion Brown. So you know that basically he they, he's basically pulled the gag, and then all of a sudden that weird odd feeling you had when the real Kazuko was in a cave, and you just thought, how did she get from that cave to the Destructoid torture chamber so fast? Like, and, and if they did abduct her, why is she kind of like roaming free and not hurt? Like, I mean, they were threatening to kill her. So you, 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 the whole scene felt like something was off, you know? So it's not, it's not too much of a surprise that that that's what it turned out to be, and it sort of pays off, because you're like, oh yeah, like, that did feel kind of weird, so, you know, of course there was a reason why that, that went down the way it did. Yeah, I, I did, I mean, it was totally expected, but I thought it was well played by the actors there, to like, that little girl, she's like, oh, so we can, like, use this to conquer the world, right? And she kind of, like, starts to smile, and then, you know, Nakabori's like, oh, oh, you know, what? Oh. And then she starts like smiling and laughing, and like I, I thought that was like nicely played between them. Yeah, I like, I like how he's like, that, that's not a nice thing to say, <laughs> you know, because like, I'm not nice, because I'm Cesare <laughs> Brown. Yeah, so yeah, it, it, it's a pretty well played scene, like you're saying. And then, of course, when Jiro comes back to check in on the real Kazuko in the cave hideaway, he finds her missing. And I'm like, you had one job, Hattori Hanpei! One job! And, like, of course, they leave her alone, and she goes missing. But as they're looking for the missing girl, Mitsuko comes across a drop pendant with an unusual composition. And Jiro, of course, opens his insides to analyze the mineral and concludes that it is uratonium ore. So I guess this is like the adamantium or vibranium of the Kakati universe, basically. It's this substance that will show up here and, and play a role in later craziness, probably. Meanwhile, Kazuko is stumbling into the ongoing subplot with the amnesiac Professor Komoji and tells him to look out as a truck almost hits him while driving past. And of course, Professor Komoji thanks the young girl 
and he, he kind of has a recollection of the young girl, but he can't seem to remember. And Kazuku then says he must be mistaken because she doesn't know him. It's like, I don't know you, strange man. Stranger. But, I, I mean, I, I would hazard a guess that in his amnesiac state, what he's he thinks he remembers the young girl, but is probably just confusing her with Mitsuko, his own daughter, but at that same young age is what I was thinking. Yeah. So, Me too. Yeah. But, you know, back to the A storyline. Jiro and the gang catch up to Kazuko and ask where she got this stone from. And she tells Jiro it came from White Dragon Valley. And then Jiro rushes to the location to save the doctor. But in the background, we see the B-plot driving away on a public transit bus because Professor Kimoji is looking and narrowly misses his daughter and son. So we're going to go to a battle sequence next with Jiro and the Dark Destructoids, but there is a factoid about the battle sequence that I'm going to turn over to Justin. The end battle scenes were filmed on location at Okutama, near their first location at Okochi Dam for the first episodes of both Masked Rider and Kikaida. So that would be the, the cool dam that we saw in the first episode. And I guess yep. at some point they must have used that same dam in Masked Rider, which I think you, you mentioned when we talked about that episode, probably. So yeah. that's kind of cool. Jiro catches up to the Dark Jeep in White Dragon Valley and confronts the Dark Drones and Scorpion Brown. Scorpion Brown! Sassory Brown! Tries to use his Armstrong gun on Jiro. But Jiro dodges the blast, which ends up destroying a dark drone instead. The doctor manages to run away, but Professor Gill begins playing everybody's favorite devil flute. Scorpion Brown is about to use his thermoluminescent death beam on Jiro, as he would, but omniscient narration tells us, so there's no confusion, that the noise of thunderclaps in the background drowned out Gil's devil flute. Then we finally get a honest-to-goodness real transformation sequence, and Jiro does his switch on! One, two, three, and becomes Kikaida. Kikaida then fights the five dark drones, and dodges Scorpion Brown's tail attacks. Eventually, the thermoluminescent death beam is unleashed again, and Kikaida jumps over the beam to perform his double chop attack move, followed by a giant swing, and finally, the end! And it's kind of interesting, and I'll let Justin tell you why. When Brown Scorpion explodes at the hands of Kikaida's Denjian! His mechanical parts are not seen falling to the ground as with the demise of earlier Dark Destructoids. So no, uh, no Watchmen, Dr. Yeah. Manhattan watch parts, so I guess, I, I don't know. I noticed maybe, that. Maybe, I thought that was... maybe there wasn't enough time to stick in the same stock footage because of commercial yeah. obligations or something. I don't know. I, like, I kind of wonder why they cut out transformation sequences and other stock stuff, but maybe in certain episodes they had enough where they didn't need it, and in other episodes they need more filler, so maybe they have more transformation sequences and more of the 
kind of watch parts when the guys blow up. Because in this, it was just kind of like an explosion, and that was basically it. You didn't really see the aftermath. Or, you know, I don't know, maybe they, they wanted to hint it. If you didn't see, who knows, maybe if you don't see the parts, maybe they can bring back Brown Scorpion or something and say he didn't really <laughs> get blown up all the way or something. I don't know. Yeah. But basically, this brings us kind of to the end of the episode because the bad guys are defeated. Kazuko is reunited with her father, Dr. Nakabori, as Jiro rides off on his own, leaving Masuko and Masara behind because who cares about them? The show is only all about them, protecting them, and finding their amnesiac dad, but I'm going to go right off into, you know, not necessarily the sunset, but, you know, off into somewhere, so. Next up, we've got Gold Wolf, so... That's what's coming up next. But I overall, like, what did you what did you think of this episode, Justin? This was a fun episode. And like I said, I I thought Cesare Brown had a really cool costume. Like it was totally believable for once. Like there was no like out of place like giant red nose or anything mm-hmm. wacky. The episode itself was really cool. You had some nice like little action scenes. You know, I I liked the I liked the use of Hattori Henpei in this. Like he. For whatever reason, he decided to put on a Renaissance Fair costume and have a, like a, a small little fight scene, which which I liked. And like I said, I also thought it was interesting. He he agreed to help with with no promise of any kind of reward. So like I I really enjoyed this episode. I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it was a good episode, and I I concur with you. Like the the suit for Scorpion Brown, I think added to your acceptance of the the scenario and you know i mean they they did try to pull like the you know a, a typical fast one where they're saying oh this guy's the greatest bad guy ever and he's going to rule the world but because the suit was so well made and because the the abilities and and kind of them proving him as a nefarious bad guy you know the way he takes out the hikers and the the destruction he can cause like i i, I feel like they really sold him and even though, and they, they, they sold him through action as well as a lot of talk. Because sometimes people are like, you know, they just they just talk them up and then, you know, Kakaida like smacks them around and they fall apart and then that's it, you know. But this guy felt like a, a genuine threat and everything. So I, I thought it was fun to see the two of them go at it. And, you know, I mean, it, it, like you're saying, it's kind of fun to see Hattori Hanpei kind of have somewhat of an arc and also you know, kind of do his, his renaissance fair gag bit, and, you know, all that stuff was, was pretty funny, and I I enjoyed the episode myself as well, so I think it's a, a good episode, and I, I guess I hope people are enjoying our coverage of this, and we will continue, so, you know, next up is going to be episode 11, Gold Wolf, but if you guys have any comments, questions, concerns, you can feel free to email us at fanholespodcast at gmail.com. We, of course, are on all kinds of social media. We appreciate all the likes on Facebook, all the notes on Tumblr. We're on Stitcher Radio, where we can be streamed. We're on iTunes. iTunes reviews are, of course, always welcome because it helps get the podcast found. And, of course, we've got all kinds of other spinoff shows besides Toku Thursdays. We've got Sentai Saturdays. We've got Transformers Tuesdays. We've got comic books, motherfucker. Do you read them? And, of course, we've got the Fan Holes podcast proper. So, until the next time, 
This is going to be Derek. Derek WC, switching off. And this is Justin. I am toast. So hard. I don't really have that many notes for this episode, really. Yeah, I mean, it's it's another episode. I mean, I, I think I like Scorp- Scorpion Brown or Cessory, Cessory Brown. <laughs> whatever, whatever. I, li- I like this I like like suit. Yeah, yeah, I, I like the suit, too. So it, I, I think it's finally like a suit where you're like, when I ask you, so what do you think of the suit, Justin? You're not going to be like, well, it looks kind of <laughs> goofball. You know, yeah. you're, like, you're like, finally you can say like, hey, this suit's pretty imposing and impressive and